I'm well, Lewis. How are you? Uh, Lewis? <laughs> Lewis? Yeah, okay. Um, that was hilarious. Um, hello, and welcome to Storytelling Into the Void. Lewis has done a couple of these, and I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to give it a go. So, um... Yeah, today I'm going to be reading uh, Lamb to the Slaughter by Roald Dahl. It's a, it's a short story. It's a good one. I like it. And um, I'll give a little analysis at the end of, of this part. And the next part will be out on Sunday. So yeah, let's, um, let's get into it. <sighs> the room was warm and clean. The curtains drawn. Two table lamps alight, hers and one by the empty chair opposite. On the sideboard behind her, two tall glasses, soda water, whiskey. Fresh ice cubes in the thermos bucket. Mary Maloney was waiting for her husband to come in from work. Now and again she would glance up at the clock, but without anxiety, merely to please herself with the thought that each minute gone by made it nearer to the time when he would come home. There was a small... There was a slow, smiling... First mistake of the night, folks. Um, There was a slow, smiling air about her and was curiously tranquil. Her skin, for this was her sixth month with child, had acquired a wonderful translucent quality. The mouth was soft and the eyes, with their new placid look, seemed larger, darker than before. When the clock said ten minutes to five, she began to listen and a few moments later, punctually as always... She heard the tyres on the gravel outside, and the car door slamming, the footsteps passing the window, the key turning in the lock. She laid aside her sewing, stood up, and went forward to kiss him as he came in. Hello, darling, she said. Hello, darling, he answered. She took his coat and hung it in the closet. Then she walked over and made the drinks. A strong one for him, a weak one for herself. And soon she was back again in her chair with the sewing, and he in the other, opposite, holding the tall glass with both hands, rocking it so the ice cubes tinkled against the side. For her, this was always a blissful time of day. She knew he didn't want to speak much until the first drink was finished, and she, on her side, was content to sit quietly, enjoying his company after the long hours alone in the house. She loved to luxuriate in the presence of this man, and to feel almost as a sunbather feels in the sun, that warm male glow that came out of him to her when they were alone together. She loved him for the way he sat loosely in the chair, for the way he came in the door, or slowly moved across the room with long strides. She loved the intent, far look in his eyes when they rested in her, the funny shape of the mouth, and especially the way he remained silent about his tiredness. Sitting still with himself, until the whiskey had taken some of it away. Tired, darling? Yes, he said. I'm tired. And as he spoke, he did an unusual thing. He lifted his glass and drained it in one swallow, although there was still half of it, at least half of it left. She wasn't really watching him, but she knew what he had done because she heard the ice cubes falling back against the bottom of the empty glass when he lowered his arm. He paused a moment, leaning forward in the chair. Then he got up and went slowly over to fetch himself another. 
I'll get it, she cried, jumping up. Sit down, he said. When he came back, she noticed that the new drink was dark amber with a quantity of whiskey in it. Darling, shall I get your slippers? No. She watched him as he began to sip the dark yellow drink and she could see the little oily swirls in the liquid because it was so strong. I think it's a shame, she said, that when a policeman gets to be as senior as you, they keep him walking about on his feet all day long. But he didn't answer. So she bent her head again and went on with her sewing. But each time he lifted his drink to his lips, she heard the ice cubes clinking against the side of the glass. Darling, she said, would you like me to get you some cheese? I haven't made any supper because it's Thursday. No, he said. If you're too tired to eat out, she went on, it's still not too late. There's plenty of meat and stuff in the freezer and you can have it right here and not even move out of the chair. Her eyes waited on him for an answer, a smile, a little nod, but he made no sign. Anyway, she went on, I'll get you some cheese and crackers first. I don't want it, he said. She moved uneasily in her chair, the large eyes still watching his face. But you must eat. I'll fix it anyway and then you can have it or not as you like. She stood up and placed her sewing on the table by the lamp. Sit down, he said. Just for a minute, sit down. It wasn't till then that she began to get frightened. Go on, he said. Sit down. She lowered herself back slowly into the chair, watching him all the time with those large, bewildered eyes. He had finished the second drink and was staring down into the glass, frowning. Listen, he said. I've got something to tell you. What is it, darling? What's the matter? He had now become absolutely motionless, and he kept his head down so that the light from the lamp beside him fell across the upper part of his face, leaving the chin and mouth in shadow. She noticed there was a little muscle moving near the corner of his left eye. This is going to be a bit of a shock to you, I'm afraid, he said. But I've thought about it a good deal, and I've decided the only thing to do is tell you right away. I hope you don't blame me too much. And he told her. It didn't take long, four or five minutes at most, and she sat very still through it all, watching him with a kind of dazed horror as he went further and further away from her with each word. So there it is, he added. And I know it's kind of a bad time to be telling you, but there simply wasn't any other way. Of course I'll give you money and see that you're looked after, but there needn't be really any fuss. I hope not anyway. It wouldn't be very good for my job. Her first instinct was not to believe any of it, to reject it all. It occurred to her that perhaps he hadn't even spoken, that she herself had imagined the whole thing. Maybe if she went about her business and acted as though she hadn't been listening, then later when she woke up again, she might find none of it had ever happened. I'll get the supper, she managed to whisper, and this time he didn't stop her. When she walked across the room, she couldn't feel her feet touching the floor. She couldn't feel anything at all, except a slight nausea and a desire to vomit. Everything was automatic now. Down the steps to the cellar, the light switch, the deep freeze, the hand inside the cabinet taking hold of the first object it met. She lifted it out and looked at it. It was wrapped in paper, so she took off the paper and looked at it again. A leg of lamb. All right then. They would have lamb for supper. She carried it upstairs, holding the thin bone end of it with both her hands 
and as she went through the living room she saw him standing over by the window with his back to her, and she stopped. For God's sake, he said, hearing her but not turning around, don't make supper for me, I'm going out. At that point, Mary Maloney simply walked up behind him, and without any pause, she swung the big frozen leg of lamb high in the air and brought it down as hard as she could in the back of his head. She might as well have hit him with a steel club. She stepped back a pace, waiting, and the funny thing was that he remained standing there for at least four or five seconds, gently swaying. Then he crashed to the carpet. The violence of the crash, the noise, the small table overturning, helped bring her out of her shock. She came out slowly, feeling cold and surprised, and she stood for a while, blinking at the body, still holding the ridiculous piece of meat with both hands. All right, she told herself. So I've killed him. Okay, well, uh, there you are. There's the there's the story. Time for a a cheeky bit of analysis, eh? Um, when I first read this story, it was in uh I was in high school, and I noticed when I was reading it how like how calm everything is, like right up until. Like, right up until when she, like, actually kills him. Like, everything seems very, sort of, matter-of-fact, as if, like, it's, it's all normal. Like, she's sitting there sewing. Um, he comes in and just, sort of, explains that he doesn't want to be with her anymore. Like, and her first instinct is to get up and, like, make dinner and just pretend that it doesn't happen. I mean, even when she kills him, it's like, oh, alright, okay, so, I've killed him. What's next? It's It's very... It's very sort of matter of fact, and it's very creepy, and for that reason, because it seems so sort of calm and normal, you really don't see the death coming, you know. Um, and I remember when I was reading it in, in high school, I was absolutely shocked at the she she just she just straight up kills him. Um, it almost seems like she's in like complete denial of the sort of you know. It doesn't sound like a very sort of healthy relationship and I think it just reached his boiling point. What it actually reminds me of is like almost like a sort of partnership that's been broken, like a sort of contract that's been broken. Um, At the beginning, you, you know, there's these, hold on, I'll get it up because there's actually reference to it. There's these little references to the two of everything. Um, Let me get to the top. Let me see uh, the room was one like the two table lamps alight, hers and one by the empty chair opposite. His chair's empty, there's two chairs, two tall glasses. You know, there's like two of everything at the start and she's in her chair and his chair is empty, sort of foreshadowing the sort of breaking of the of the partnership that they're in. Um I don't know what time period this is like set in, but it really just sort of like reminds me of like you know the sort of oppressive sort of housewifey nature of like of like the past like 20th century you know um it's 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 very sort of because of how normal it is it makes it a lot creepier um what also strikes me is how early the killing uh takes place that's like i could have i could have stopped it a bit later on but like the killing is is really the place to stop 
um we get we get some like foreshadowing like Mary's obviously with child how's that gonna you know uh, uh come into play she said that um oh a man as high up in the police as you so she's probably gonna have dealings with the police at some point about this and ultimately it's gonna be about how is Mary gonna get out of this and if she does get out of it at all um I think that's why the killing takes place on like, page four it is because it's 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 really quite thrilling to imagine all the sort of ways that she could try and, you know, get out of this, and I'm and I'm really excited to see to see how that goes. What I also really like is how Dal is able to completely frame it to be on Mary's side. You know, we start off the story with with Mary. Um, the title "Lamb to the Slaughter," like because of our own sort of, you know, uh, probably quite sexist sort of. Uh, assumptions we assume before we even read it that Mary's probably going to be the lamb in this situation and then it turns out no 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 she's deadly she's the one that you know is to be is to be feared in, in this scenario um I said before how it sort of reminds me of like the sort of 20th century sort of you know white picket fence sort of housewifey sort of culture and the more it occurs to me it's probably like for, from Mary's point of view like, she's pregnant, and if she didn't do what she did, she would be divorced, and if we're assuming it's set in that time, that's, like, that was an incredibly difficult thing for, like, a woman to go through. You were seen as, like, it was shameful, and it was seen as, like, sinful, and the man was, like, completely exempt from that. It was completely frowned upon. You know, there are, like, stories of, like, um, you know, women being admitted to, like, sanatoriums for, like, underage pregnancy and stuff like that so it's an incredibly sort of oppressive um world for a woman back back then um so so you know it's it's complicated because you can understand completely why someone just wouldn't want to go through that why someone wouldn't want to be sort of you know shamed in that way and if her husband's with the police she'll probably get more protection if he's like you know, dead, rather than let her just sort of being cast out and he just gets to carry on with his life. So, look, Dal has got a really interesting way of, like, you know, that we're on we're on Mary's side with this, even though she's killed a man, you know, it's it's very, it's very interesting. Um, The long sentences, you know, there's, like, there's a lot of, like, uh, uh, I'll read, I'll read out again, because, the, like, there's so many, there's like, a lot of lists, and, um, I, I don't, I, it, I don't know if this is like even like relevant. I'll read. I'll read one of them out. Uh, uh, when the clock punctually as always, she heard the tires on the gravel outside and the car door slamming, the footsteps passing the window, the key turning, and that like that's that's all one sentence. And it reminded me. Um, I don't know if you've ever played, uh, you know, video games that have like like uh, uh, speech trees, like you get sort of options to ask questions and it'll go down a certain sort of path but there you know there's like the illusion of you actually having a conversation but it's all like the same that's what i feel as if like mary's sort of going through she knows how every scenario is going to work in this game that she's playing and then suddenly she's put completely out of her comfort zone and has to improvise. I don't know why it reminded me of that, but I thought that that was just I just I just had to add that because it you know, it makes sense in my head. And I'm not gonna say um again because I've said um so many fucking times in this episode. 
Um, oh, shit. There you go. Eh. Well, that was uh, part one of um, Lamb to the Slaughter. I like this. I like doing storytelling into the void. Um, it was it was entirely Lewis's idea, so I've got to give him complete credit for it. But, you know, I think, especially um, for like, Halloween and stuff, it's going to, you know, you want to hear a, you know, a couple of idiots reading some spooky stories and giving their bullshit opinions on it don't you so that's 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 what we're doing that's what we're doing we're, we're responding to the to the mass outcry of of people who want who want to hear this stuff so um you know we're we're, we're happy to do that um yeah so on sunday it'll be the second part and we'll find out what happens to mary and the, the lego lamb oh it's so exciting um so yeah uh it's time for the absolutely reprehensible capitalist shilling that we always do uh, you know it's only it's only it's only fair that, that we do it you know because it's um got to, got to get that money in uh, uh the podcast has link trees uh i have a link tree and so does lewis um it's uh link tr.ee uh slash lewis underscore brindley for lewis um slash ohiram for myself and slash shouting into the void altogether for uh, the podcast. Um, we also have a PayPal donate button, so anything you can spare, anything at all, would be uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, you can hear me shuffling about with paper and stuff. Um, we also have a patron, and uh, we take the opportunity every week to thank our wonderful, wonderful patrons. Um, Chloe, thank you. That's me doing those. Darius, thank you. Sophie, thank you. Peter, thank you. Aditya, thank you. Richard, thank you. Natalie, thank you. And Dougie, thank you. One and all. You keep the lights on here. You keep us going and we couldn't we couldn't make this show um without you. So thank you very much. Uh we also have merch on Teespring and Redbubble. We sell loads of shit over there if you want to go have a look. It's all very overpriced and it's not worth your time, really. Um and now we get to the adverts. Uh, it's two adverts that we that we have, and uh, you'll hear the first one now. Do you know what my favourite part of recording the podcast is, Danny? Is it talking to me about movies and stuff? No, definitely not. Uh. <laughs> my favourite part is making and drinking a beautiful cup of coffee to keep me focused and centred while we record. I really like using coffee from my favourite roastery, Café Hormozy. I've heard very good things about them. Aren't they a small, family-run roastery in Kent that roasts, grinds and sells excellent coffee? So good, in fact, that they guarantee not to ship anything they wouldn't drink themselves? They are indeed. They have a 100% customer satisfaction rate, and it's easy to see why. I'm currently drinking a mug of their house blend, and it's delicious, it's rich, it's nutty, and it's earthy, just how you'd want it to be. Mm, that sounds good. I'll have to go to hormozy.co.uk, that's hormozy, and pick up a bag with 5% off using our Shouting Into The Void discount code SITV5. That sounds like a great shout. I'd personally recommend their Vietnam White Dragon Origin coffee. It's delicious, and just like all of their coffee, it's great value too. Great! Now can we go talk about movies? No, this cup of coffee's far too good. Ugh. Amazing. Amazing. And if you thought that that one was good, here's 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 the second one. No. Danny, I've got some amazing news. Oh, really? What? I'm going to make you a hat. Thanks. But, but why? Well, because Right Side Yarns, who sell beautiful and unique wool, have recently released a new range. 
Oh, I've heard of them. Aren't they that fantastic Scottish business that sells high-quality hand-dyed products perfect for crafting with? They certainly are, and they're sponsoring the show. Really? Have they heard the show? Yes, and apparently they like it. Kezia, the owner of the business, has given us a generous 15% off code for any of our listeners to use. Is, is that why you've got Void15 written in your hand? It is! If you or any of our listeners would like to use the code, simply enter Void15 at checkout with a capital V. Great! Would I check out? You can go to their website at rightsideyarns.co.uk or check them out on Instagram at kezia underscore rightsideyarns. Fantastic! This hat you're making me better be good. There we go. There we go. Two lovely adverts for two lovely companies. Um, And last but not least, we are partnered with another amazing company called Number 12 Crochet Avenue. And they have an Instagram at Number 12 Crochet Avenue. All words, uh, no caps or spaces. They do crocheting and it is run by Lewis's amazing wife, Chloe. So go check them out and see what you fancy. See what you don't fancy. And get yourself something nice. So, yeah. That's, um... That's the end of uh, this episode, so, uh, yeah, um, we're going to be doing this, and then next week it's, uh, oh, it's episode 70, not not Sunday, the, the week after, I wonder what we're doing, oh, it's so exciting, but, um, yeah, so thank you so much for listening, and we will see you, hear you, smell you, um, hit you over the head with a massive frozen leg of lamb, uh, next time. So, goodbye.